0: Welcome to the podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Arlington Heights. Our sermon series is called Parallax, where we're going to be looking at topics from the Bible from two different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. And now, let us continue worship with our first scripture reading, coming from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers." The word of the Lord. All right. Scripture 2. A little bit different. Okay, Romans 11, 25 to 32. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of Gentiles, Gentiles are what, just so we're clear? Non-Jews. Has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As, as, as it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, So they have now been disobedient in order by the mercy shown to you. They may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So we're doing our sermon series, Parallax. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know what this is all about. But I'll explain to you just in case you haven't been here. Uh, The idea behind Parallax or a Parallax is when two people are looking at the exact same thing, but they're seeing it in completely different ways. It's a term that's used in astronomy, and it's usually when two different astronomers are looking at a star, but they're looking at it from different positions, so the star looks different based on the position from which they're viewing it. And so the idea is is that this is true of the Bible. In the Bible, two people can be reading the scriptures, and they can come away with completely different understandings of what it means. And so each week, we're going to have two preachers. Uh, this week, it's going to be Judy and myself. Next week, it'll be TC and myself. Uh, but the idea is, is that we're going to be discussing a topic. And uh, just so we're clear, we, when we take this topic, we're going to be talking about it from two different angles. We may not believe in what we're actually talking about, but we've decided to draw for whatever it is that we're doing and we're going to basically uh, argue for our side of it, and you guys get to decide who is more convincing of the two of us. So, today we are talking about heaven. Specifically, who gets into heaven? Does God let everyone in, or do some people get kept out? And I'm gonna start with the scripture from Matthew that we read this morning. Now this particular scripture, if you read it too closely, we'll keep you up at night there's no doubt about that because jesus makes a pretty bold claim in this particular scripture which is that not everybody who calls him lord will be accepted into the kingdom of heaven now as you know i like to do a little bit of historical background whenever i preach my sermons and so i think in order to understand what he's talking about here we need to understand what is the kingdom of heaven so I've talked about this before, but it's always good for everybody to be on the same page, which is that Jesus and many other Jews who lived during the first century, they believed that heaven and earth were two very different realms. And this is actually uh, a little map that somebody drew that will show you how they actually thought of the world at that time. And so there was a dome that they believed separated heaven and earth. And this dome is actually something that you have probably seen before. Have you ever been somewhere where there's not a lot of light pollution and it's a really clear night and you can look up into the sky? And if you look up, what you can see, if, you, if it's super clear, you can actually see this dome in the sky. Now, of course, back then, they didn't have light pollution the way that we do today, so they saw this all the time. Now, today we know that that is the atmosphere, right? I mean, that's essentially what it is. At that time, though, they thought it was a barrier. And that barrier separated these two realms and they were different beings that lived in those realms. So in heaven, you have God and angels and down here on earth, you have humans and all the other creatures. So the kingdom of heaven is when these two realms are merged together as one. The dome, the barrier separating these two is removed and literally heaven comes down to earth. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So that's what they believed at that time. And many Jews also believed that the epicenter or the capital of the kingdom of heaven was going to be the city of Jerusalem and that there was gonna be a Messiah or a king who was going to rule over the capital of the kingdom of heaven. And of course, Jesus as the Messiah would be that king. You with me so far? Okay, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Now, Jesus being the king of the kingdom of heaven, he has certain privileges. And one of those privileges is he gets to determine who gets in to the kingdom of heaven and who doesn't get in, who's worthy and who falls short. And this is why Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be accepted into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you can call Jesus your king all you want to. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to let you in. Now, the criteria that Jesus uses to determine whether or not you deserve to be allowed in is right here in the last part of this when he says, the one who does my will is going to be allowed in. Now, unfortunately for us, this is not super specific because if I were to ask you, how many people in here feel like they do God's will? Well, I would assume most of you would probably raise your hand like you're trying to do God's will, right? Uh, But not so fast because this is what Jesus says right after that. He goes on to say, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Judy does that all the time, by the way. <laughs> really <laughs> and, good at it. <laughs> and do many deeds of power in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Now, what that's essentially saying is that you can say you're a follower of Jesus... You can have all the outward signs that you're a Christian, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is going to recognize you as one of his own. And so, what this scripture tells us is that the kingdom of heaven is a physical place on earth, Jesus is the king, and he's determining who comes in and who stays out. So, today, I would say most Christians do not believe in a physical kingdom. And this kingdom, by the way, is afterlife. Like, that's the idea. It's like what happens... Like, we're all here now, and then Jesus comes back and creates all of this, and so that's the afterlife. Most people for afterlife today, what do they believe? They believe that when you die, your soul separates from your body, and if you've been good, you get to go to heaven to be with God, and if you've been bad, what? You go to hell to be with Satan. That, that's what I would say the vast majority of people believe. Now, regardless of whether you believe in a physical kingdom or you believe in a soul, the fact is what this scripture points out to us is that God is not accepting of everyone. That some people are going to be let in, and some people are going to be kept out. Your turn.
1: Thanks. (laughs) So after I heard uh, that scripture from Matthew read again, I said, Alex, that really sounds mean. (laughs) Don't you wonder why we say thanks be to God after some of these uh, scripture readings? (laughs) So Paul has a very different understanding of the kingdom of heaven and of who's in and who's out. But I think it's important to start with um, where the context of the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. This is a church that is absolutely preoccupied with who's in and who's out. When Jesus comes again, what will happen to the Jews and the non-Jews? And there's a good reason why they're anxious and worried about this. Because you see, by this time in the early church, the Jews were no longer receptive to the message that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, the Jews really didn't buy that at all anymore. The only people receptive to the message were the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so it's understandable that there's a lot of worry about what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. If the Jews reject Jesus, will God reject the Jews? This is the concern, the anxiety that Paul is facing. And this is why Paul takes us back, especially in verses 26 and 27, and he calls up for the memory of the church at Rome, all of them, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. And as usual, Paul has this very convoluted argument, but basically it boils down to the fact that all will be saved. All of Israel will be saved, and that Jesus did not come to nullify this covenant, but to expand the covenant so that now the all of Israel includes not just the Jews, but also the non-Jews. So Paul believes that Jesus' incredible love and overwhelming grace can soften even the hardest of hearts, and that at some point, everyone will wind up in the arms of God. And this is what the gospel writer John underlines when in John 3, 17, he reminds us that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. The world. Everybody. So this is what Paul is anxiously trying to communicate to the people of Israel, to the church at Rome. Gentiles and Jews.
0: Okay, so she's talking about Paul. I'm talking about Jesus is who I'm talking about. So. uh, (laughs) That was dirty. I know, I know, know. underhanded. (laughs) (laughs) So so I can certainly sympathize with Paul's anxiety about the fact that some people are gonna be in, other people are gonna be out. But unfortunately for Paul, the issue is, is that Jesus when he talks about this, he's pretty clear that we are going to have some people who are in, some people are out. He says this over and over and over again. Even this scripture that you're talking about right here, <coughs> the scripture from John, this scripture has been used by Christians for centuries to talk about how, oh, well, he may have come to save the world, but if you don't believe in Jesus, eh, you're on the outside. Even a scripture that I use all the time. You know my favorite scripture, right? What's the one that I would talk about? It's based on this, right? Matthew 25. 25. All right. So it's a judgment scenario. And he's separating the sheep from the goats. And do you remember what it takes to be a sheep? It's So did you feed the hungry? Did you give drink... To the thirsty. Did you clothe the naked? Did you welcome the stranger? Did you care for the sick? Did you visit those who are in prison? Did you replace the nine-volt battery? Did you do the things that you were asked to do? And if you did, then you are welcomed in to the kingdom of heaven. However, if you don't do those things, then you're a goat. And if you're a goat, Jesus has some pretty harsh words for you. He says to them, you that are accursed... Depart from me into the fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Rough stuff. Rough stuff. So he's pretty serious about this dividing line, is he not? Now, I think the question we have to answer here is, why does Jesus care so much about these particular actions? And by actions, what I mean by that is all the stuff we are talking about, you know, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing naked, et cetera. Why does he care about that? Well, he cares about that Because Jesus wants us to understand that we are going to be held accountable for our actions. So one of Jesus' roles as king is to bring justice to the world. And the reason why is because the truth is we are not very often held accountable for the things that we do wrong. And I'm not talking just about the big things, right? Like murder, which by the way, people do get away with. I'm talking about the little things. I'm talking about things that we kind of don't think about the small things. And I'll give you an example of this. So, everybody here has been down to the city at some point, I'm sure, right? And in this city, I'm sure that you've seen people who are homeless sitting there on the street begging for money. Have you seen this before? Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody knows this scene, do we not? Now, you have to imagine if you've ever sat there and you've watched this play out, there are literally hundreds of people who walk by these homeless people every hour. And in doing so, by walking by them and not paying them any heed, they end up stripping them of their human dignity. And so when we are part of those crowds that walk by, we are complicit in that act. We are essentially saying, it's okay to treat another human being that way. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 25, he's saying, actually, that's not okay that if you're one of my disciples, you don't just to keep on walking. That in fact, when you see that person sitting there on the sidewalk, that you need to stop. It is your responsibility to do something about that situation, to try to remediate the situation, to try to solve what is going on here because everybody else is walking, but when you're my disciple, you have to do something about that. And so what Jesus is judging when it comes down to this judgment scenario is Are you contributing to the evils of the world? Or are you doing something to try to solve those evils? Are you trying to undo those evils? Are you trying to do something to make the world a better place? That is what Jesus is judging in Matthew 25.
1: Well, Alex is young, right? (laughs) And when I was young, before I got old and tired (laughs) I really would have accepted I I believe the premise that Alex is putting forth that there is heaven and that there is hell and the only way you're going to get into heaven is if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then work very hard all the time to do what Jesus wants you to do it is exhausting but if you don't do it there will be judgment and that judgment is harsh so you work hard to follow the way of Jesus to secure your entrance into heaven the problem is with that argument that Alex is so boldly making that if you follow it to its logical conclusion we're gonna chase ourselves in circles. I mean, what if I overlook the hungry man on the street because I'm preoccupied? It's not intentional, I'm just preoccupied. Or what if I put $5 in the red Salvation Army kettle at Target, those are gonna be out TC in about one week, so just get ready. But then when I get to Jewel and there's another Red Salvation Army kettle, I'm trying to be a good steward so I don't put any money in that kettle. Those are the little things that Alex was mentioning. But most importantly of all for me in my ministry is, what do I say to people who are dying? I'll never forget the World War II veteran in the nursing home where I worked before I came here. He was, he did have some dementia, but on this particular day, he was very clear and he asked to see the chaplain. And when I got to his room, he had tears in his eyes and he started to talk to me about killing people. I killed people. It was the war. I had to kill people, but I don't know if God forgives me. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven because I killed people. Even though I've, done, I've tried to do the right thing since then, I don't know. Here was a man that was afraid that he would not be welcomed into the arms of God because he had followed military orders. There was another gentleman very, very close to death, and his wife called me and said, "Judia, I need you to come. Harold just can't let go. And so when I got there, Harold grabbed my hand, and he said to me, How do I know if I'm going to heaven? I know I've done bad things. And I said, Harold, you're baptized. You're saved by the grace of God. You're a beloved child of God. I know that when you're ready, God will welcome you with open arms. We all sin. We all fail to do things or do things we shouldn't do. That's the nature of humanity, and Paul knew that very well, and that's why Paul talks so much about grace grace, that unmerited favor. We are all saved by grace because we can't possibly even out the good things we do and the bad things we do. And so grace makes it possible for us not to worry about evening things out.
0: Good use of examples.
1: (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Professor.
0: I would certainly agree with you that we can never do enough to compensate for the wrongs. I would certainly agree with you that that's the case. I think my problem, though, is I don't see those things necessarily being overlooked. Because with all the wrongs that we commit Mm -hmm. in this world, doesn't there have to be a reckoning at some point? I mean, don't we have to pay the piper sometime? Is it okay for somebody like a Hitler or a Stalin for them to do what they did and just to get a pass? I mean, we're not just talking like a little thing, those are big things. And so, to me, if that forgiveness is just guaranteed, what motivation do I have to change? What incentive? do I have to be different? To be a better person? If I know that I can lie, cheat, steal, and hurt people, and that I can just be forgiven, why not just do all those things? And I know in the end, eh, clean slate. I don't need to worry about it, right? Now, I would totally agree with you, 100%. None of us are deserving of being able to go to heaven. None of us do enough. None of us do enough good. You're absolutely right. However, Jesus is pretty clear again and again that we are going to be held accountable for the things that we do wrong. And the only forgiveness that Jesus seems to be offering us is when we focus our lives on trying to counterbalance the negatives that we see in the world. That seems to be... Now, Paul talks about total forgiveness. Jesus says, I forgive you on a condition. Because this is what Jesus is talking about. (laughs) What Jesus wants his disciples to do is Jesus wants his disciples to make the world a better place. And he's very clear again and again. If you just believe, just say, oh, yeah, I believe in you, Jesus. And I believe in your teachings. He's like, no, that's not enough. What good does it do to say, I believe in Jesus and his teachings, if it doesn't actually change the way that you live your life? Because the whole thing that we're supposed to do as Jesus' disciples is create positive ripples in the world. You do good things, and those good things, they change the world. Not just the person who you helped, but it goes beyond that person. And that's how you make the world a better place. And indeed, that's how Jesus is judging whether or not you are accepted into the kingdom of heaven. It's based on the ripples that you create. If you create positive ripples, if you help people, if you do the things that Jesus asks of you, you are welcomed in. But if you create negative ripples, if you hurt people, if you cause pain in the world, then Jesus keeps you out because Jesus wants us to understand that if you do not face justice in this world, you will face it in the next.
1: Tough argument. I mean, we should be held accountable. And the question is really, what does motivate us if it isn't that desire to get into heaven? I think that what motivates us is gratitude. Gratitude for the way God loves us. Gratitude for the unconditional love that God bestows on us. Thanksgiving. We do good things out of this deep sense of thanksgiving to God for all that we have been given. People ask me all the time, how do you do what you do? How do you keep going? You always have a smile on your face. <clears throat> That's not true. You don't see me at home. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but people do say that. And I have to say that the only true answer I can give is that I am motivated to do what I do. I am energized to do what I do, not out of fear that I'm going to go to hell if I don't do it, but out of a deep, profound sense. gratitude for the way God has loved me and bestowed grace in my life now to Alex's point the psalmist talks about Sheol and Hades and in Matthew 25 indeed it talks about separating the sheep from the goats and in Matthew 7 that Alex used earlier it talks about the fact that not everybody that calls Jesus Lord will enter will go to heaven. Some will be cast into this outer darkness. But I think what these people are talking about, what the Bible is talking about in terms of hell, is that separation from God. When we behave in ways that separate us from God or separate others from God, we create hell right here. The the ultimate definition of hell for me is being separated from God. We create, we are separated from God when we perpetuate hunger and homelessness. When we fail to care for the creation that God has entrusted to us. We live separated from God We're in our own hell right here, right now. How can we hear the message of God's incredible love and grace that comes to us through Scripture and still believe that this same God is going to cast us into a fiery hell forever? God's love and grace always win the day. We live in our own hell when we choose to behave in ways that separate us from God, or when we behave in ways that separate others from God, like judging their sin before we look at our own sin. God's love and grace is so incredible and overwhelming, and I truly believe that this is a God that pursues us all the time and desires to be in relationship and will pursue us so that we all end up in the arms of a loving God. My prayer for all of us is that we would choose love every time. Choose love so that we can change the world, so that we can build the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, right here on earth, and so that we will also be prepared to enjoy fellowship in the kingdom of heaven yet to come. May it be so for all of us. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening.